Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors, and it's awesome to have you here with us. Hello to those of you joining us on our online campus and uh, those of you in our parent viewing rooms. That's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, man, we have been in this series where we're kind of walking through this letter that uh, James, the brother of Jesus, writes to first century followers of Jesus and kind of uh, walking through, how do I... How do I live out my faith in a way that moves it forward? Uh, before we jump into the message this morning, I want to let you know right after our third service today at 1230, uh, if we've never met or if you've been attending recently, we'd love to connect with you. We're doing something called a welcome party. We'd love to see you there. Uh, we've got pizza, childcare, all that, uh, no agenda other than just to connect with you face to face and just uh, make a connection, learn more about you, help you learn more about the church. Uh, that's today. And then uh, as the video said, next week is our Westbridge Connect. So either one of those would be a great way for you to learn more about us. And then the other thing uh, I want to just mention is uh, we do this every year, uh, something called our Legacy Offering. So that's coming up uh, November 20th. And I just want to keep that on our radar screen. Uh, the goal of that is this, 100% participation. That's it. And that's just where we say once a year, well, I'm going to take above and beyond what I normally give. And I'm going to give something extra because I want to leave a legacy that outlives my life. And so 100% participation, and then we give 100% of it away to initiatives um, around the world and here in our own community. And so uh, that's coming up November 20th. I would love to keep that on your radar screen. Uh, all right. So uh, we've been in this series. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, I want to encourage you to go back. And if you're kind of coming into the middle of the movie here, let me just give you kind of a, a brief synopsis of what we've uh, covered so far. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus. He's writing to first century followers of Jesus. And he's saying, look, this is what it looks like to live out uh, your faith in a, in a way that actually makes a difference in your life. And so uh, the first week we said a, a faith that isn't troubled by troubles. Uh, how, how do I move my faith forward? Uh, the second week, a faith that resists temptation. Uh, the third week, we talked about a faith that builds healthy relationships. Last week, a faith that moves us to action. So if you missed any of these weeks, uh, I'd encourage you to check those out. But James, the brother of Jesus, wants to remind us that faith really is not just about belief. It's, it's not just transactional, it is relational. It's about trust. It's about saying, God, I trust you enough to do what you asked me to do. And if we trust Jesus, then we will follow his way of living. And if we follow Jesus's way of living, it will actually make a difference in our lives. It will move our faith forward. And one of the areas that ought to make the biggest difference is in the area of relationships. And that's just where we experience the most tension. It's where we experience the most joy. It's, uh, it's just incredibly, it's the best part of our lives. And sometimes it's the worst part of our lives. And all of us have people in our lives, don't we? We have uh, a roommate, a neighbor, a friend. We have a coworker or a boss or an employee. Uh, we've got a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you have children or stepchildren or grandchildren or foster children uh, and parents or adopted parents, or maybe you have foster parents, grandparents, adopted parents, uh, your extended family in all of its various forms uh, that they come in. And then there's everybody else in the world that you interact with on a regular basis, right? There is the person in the drive-thru line that just is ordering one of everything on the menu. And there's the teenager operating the guacamole gun at Taco Bell. And there is the guy in the Hummer that just insists on merging into your lane. And there is the lady at the express lane at the grocery store with 37 items and she's paying with an out-of-state check. And all of the people that you interact with on a regular basis. And everybody on the other end of your social media who you're like, I don't know, I'm friends with this person and I don't even, I don't even think I even know them, but I'm friends with them. I don't, I don't even remember who this person is. And whether you like it or not, all of us interact with a vast number of people in various ways every single day. We have tons of interactions and apparently it doesn't always go so well. 
Just uh, look at the amount of money that we spend on marriage books and on uh, parenting resources and dating apps and leadership and management books and like workplace culture secrets and conflict resolution. I mean, it's staggering the amount that we put into all of these things. And yet James reminds us over and over again about this thing called the royal law of love. Uh, this, we're, we're to love others well because if you're intent on following Jesus, it ought to make a difference in the way that you treat other people. It will compel you to treat others in a loving way. And never do we see this showing up more than in the words that we speak to each other. It's absolutely fascinating. And many of you actually remember a time and a day when our exchange of words looked very different than it does today. And many of you can remember a, a time in life when there was no internet. Uh, now, some of you, maybe you can't, but I, I remember this. It, it was back in the 1900s, and uh, I was in eighth grade, and, uh, and it, they were like, hey, there's this computer lab, and you can actually go onto this thing called the, the information superhighway. And it was this highway. It was super. And there was lots of information. And... You'd go on there and you'd click this thing and it made all these noises. You know, and you'd put your AOL disk into the disk drive. It was amazing. And, and all of a sudden you could look up one of like 30 websites. It was unbelievable. And uh, you could find out information. And I was like, this is unbelievable. The internet is crazy. Uh, some, some of you uh, remember snail mail was your only option. Uh, when, when Cherry and I were first dating, we would send letters back and forth to each other in the mail with stamps. It was unreal. Like, who does that? Uh, my phone as a kid was a box on the wall with like a really long cord. So if you wanted to talk in the other room, you just dragged the cord all the way through the house. And that, you know, coil cord could stretch like 300 yards or something. I don't know. It was crazy. And it was a box on the wall and it was a rotary phone. And I can tell you, my kids, my older kids have cell phones. I don't know any of their phone numbers. It's all in my phone. It's all saved, right? But like when I was a kid, I knew so many of my friends' phone numbers because I had to dial them. And I hated my friends that had multiple zeros in their phone number. You're just like, Zzzz. all right, come on, dude. Zzzz. It was like a box with gears. It was like making sparks in my wall. You know, it was unbelievable. And some of you remember some of this stuff. It's crazy how far we've come. In fact, uh, there are a few truths about the words that we need to be aware of using today. Today, our, our communication has increased so much because of the internet and social media and technology. And so we have so many words that we're using, so many exchanges. In fact, uh, this is really important. We are using more words than ever before. Think about that. We're using far more words than we ever used to because our level of interaction has increased tenfold. In fact, in 2020, it was estimated that people all over the world, on average, sent 306 billion emails, 4.5 trillion text messages, and sent 500 million tweets and watched 520 million hours of YouTube every day. Yeah, you thought that was all 2020. No, no, no. Every day in 2020. Think about that. That's crazy. It's estimated that humans around the world globally uh, created 2.5 quintillion bytes of data per day. That's 2.5 times 10 to the 18th power. That's how much we're doing. And it's growing every year. It's not like as a human race, we're like, whoa, we should probably pull back a little bit. We're like leaning into that. And we're increasing it. And, and studies show that since the birth of social media, humans exchange more words in that one year than in all the previous years of human history combined. 
We're using more words than we've ever used before. But here's the downside. We are thinking less about our words than ever before. We're using them a lot more, but we're thinking a lot less about them. And when words were more difficult to compose and interactions took longer, we were more thoughtful. We thought about what we were going to say. It was more personal. We spent more words, uh, more time formulating our words. We thought about them. It's the difference between writing a letter and sending a text message. It's so much faster. Or a face-to-face conversation and the Facebook comment section. So different, right? And it's nobody's fault. It's just naturally what happens when you live in the age that we do. We live in this era in human history, and we can send words out into the world with very little effort and with zero accountability or feedback, and it's just happening all the time. And so we don't feel the weight of our words like we used to. We don't feel the weight of what we're saying, which is why we have, you know, we've sent things in an email or we've posted something online that we would never say to someone's face because we have so much courage behind a keyboard, right? You've heard the phrase keyboard warrior. It's like some people just have so much courage when they don't actually have to look you in the eyes. And the truth is, it's why you see people comment on other people's social media with words you could never imagine them using if they were actually looking them in the face. It's, it's caused us as a, as a human race to become less compassionate and less thoughtful. And so we're using more words than ever before, and we're thinking about them less than ever before. And here's why this is so important. We read this in the book of Proverbs. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. So think about this. God had given uh, Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, just incredible wisdom. And he writes this wisdom down for his kids in these Proverbs. And this is particularly relevant for us today. He says, hey, don't forget, your words have power. They can bring life and they can bring death. And isn't it true that you can speak and in a moment you can fill someone's heart or you can crush it? Uh, We know this is true. In just a few sentences, you can bolster someone with confidence or you can cripple someone with insecurity. You can actually, with mere words, give someone an incredible sense of self-worth and value or crush them with shame and worthlessness and self-doubt. You can, with our words, draw people close and you can push people away. We can bestow dignity or we can bestow dishonor. We can surround people with support or we can isolate them with opposition. Why is that? It's because the tongue has the power of life and death. And James uses a couple of different sources in writing his letter in the first century. And we've we've talked about this over the last few weeks. One of the sources that he uses is his brother Jesus. He takes some of the teachings of Jesus, particularly uh, some of the teachings from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he uses some of that. But he also pulls from this uh, book of Proverbs in the Hebrew Scriptures. And we really see this shining through, this influence of Proverbs, when James goes to talk about our words. And at some point in life, you've probably heard this famous phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And while that's kind of a catchy little phrase, we all know that that's not true. We all know that words actually can hurt. Words contain ideas and emotions, and they absolutely can wound us. Your words matter. And one of the most dangerous things that we can do as human beings is to downplay the significance or the impact of our words because the tongue holds the power of life and death. And it's easy to convince ourselves that words aren't really that big of a deal, but they are. And here's what James is going to teach us, that the tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's not just a little bit. It's disproportionately powerful. When you really take a minute to think about it, it's amazing. The way that we arrange the 26 letters in the alphabet 26 letters 
And we can arrange those in so many different ways that it makes a massive difference. And we can communicate through a lifetime. And let's be honest, we've all said something in the emotion of a moment that was maybe a little embarrassing, that maybe we look back and go, man, I wish I hadn't said that, but now that I look back, it's kind of a laughing thing, it's kind of funny, and I can laugh about it later, but we've also had those moments where we said things or had things said to us, and we regret it for a long time. We regret it weeks later and months later and years later, and we go, man, that was, I wish I'd never said that. Or we had things said to us and it's been years and we're still not laughing about it. It damaged us. It scarred us. Hurtful words, degrading words, discouraging words, accusatory words, judgmental words, retaliating words. And all of us have experiences that to this day, we can still remember somebody speaking and it hurt us and it wounded us and, or they accused us of something and we can still feel that sting and we can tell you where we were, we can tell you who spoke them, we can tell you uh, the surroundings because the emotion just, it caused us to freeze in time and we remember what was said. The words have stuck. And maybe you have said things to somebody in your family, to somebody that you work with, to a neighbor or a friend and, and it caused that relationship to come to an end because of a word said in anger, because of a word said in haste, because of a word said that was insensitive or thoughtless, words are incredibly powerful. In fact, in this letter, James would write this, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. It's so fascinating. He talks about this royal law of love. He talks a lot about self-deception, about, hey, I'm, I'm checking certain boxes but I'm not actually moving my faith forward. And here he uses this phrase again, to fool yourself or to trick yourself. He says, look, if, if you claim to have religion, you check these religious boxes, but your, your, your words are toxic, then your religion really isn't worth much. And in fact, you're, you're deceiving yourself. And we don't even need a verse to tell us that because we've all known people who claim to be religious, but every time you're around them, they're like verbally vomiting all over everybody in their path. Because the tongue is disproportionately powerful. It's so powerful that when James, the brother of Jesus, writes this letter to followers of Jesus who've experienced all sorts of persecution from their faith, he spends a lot of time talking about the tongue. And he gives us some, some really these big powers that the tongue has. He says it's disproportionately powerful. In fact, it has these powers to do a few different things. Number one, the power to direct our lives the power to direct our lives. I mean, this is fascinating. Our words have power for good, which is why God put a lot of emphasis on our speech. We can speak influence into someone's life and we can encourage them and build them up and strengthen them. And, and it's unbelievable how positive words can make a difference in someone's life. I can tell you that um, for myself, my wife and I have been married for 23 years. And there's never a time in, in the last, uh, you know, and we dated for a few years before that. I mean, we've been together for 27 years. And there's really never been a time where she has ever doubted me. Uh, she's always an encourager. She's always in my corner. She's always encouraging me, cheering me on. I can't tell you what that does to me as a person. When I was about 15 years old, uh, we had a couple of guys that were about four years older than me, and they were both uh, working in, in ministry and they really encouraged me, James and Dave, these two guys, just encouraged me and said, man, we think that you'd be great in ministry. Uh, you've got some leadership skills. You've got some potential and brought me alongside of them. And to this day, I talk to those guys almost every week. They're a part of our overseers here at Westbridge Church. It's amazing the power of words. I'll never forget one of my high school teachers saying to me, Jeremiah, after 25 years of teaching, after all the students I've had, you've got more talent and potential than any of them. 
That's not true. I made that up. But <laughs> you could imagine, right, how, what that would do for you. That never happened. Cheryl Pruitt was a girl who grew up in a rural area. Her dad owned a small uh, country grocery store. She'd help him out around the store. And uh, every week there was a milkman that would come in and pat her on the head and say, hey, how's little Miss America doing? And she would smile and kind of nod and, you know, he'd put the milk bottles in the store and he'd talk to her and encourage her and tell her she's so talented. Man, she's got potential. She's got a future. And after a few years, she became comfortable with that nickname. And in 1980, she stood on the stage in Atlantic City and was crowned Miss America. And she gave credit to God's grace, but she also gave credit to the milkman who encouraged her every single time that he came in and called her, hey, good morning. How's my little Miss America doing? And I think about that. That's the power of encouraging words. I think about that story every night when I put my eight-year-old to bed and I say, good night, little Mr. Millionaire. <laughs> words are powerful. Here's what James says. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. He says, this is why this is so important. If you're able to restrain your mouth, if you're able to guard what you say, if you can ever get to that point in your life where you can start choosing your words more thoughtfully and more carefully, you're about as flawless as you're going to get in life. Because most of the time when we mess up and we screw up, it's a lot of times it's our words. And that's a bold statement. I mean, think about the things that it requires serious self-discipline. So many things, stopping a bad habit, uh, losing weight, getting out of debt, being a Minnesota sports fan. It's just like so much self-discipline, right? And James says, as difficult as all of that is, none of that is as difficult as taming the tongue. And yet our words have the power to direct our lives. If you're married, it's because at some point you used words to communicate interest and express your love and ultimately recite your vows. If you're employed, it's because at some point you used your words to sell yourself in a job interview. And it's possible that your words have even cost you a job or cost you a marriage, or cost you a relationship. And James is arguing pretty, pretty successfully that our words have incredible power in our lives. They can direct our lives disproportionately. And here's, here's the example that he gives. He says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Think about how disproportionate that is, that you can take a one-pound uh, you know, piece of metal and put it in the mouth of a horse and can control an animal, the direction of an animal that it weighs over a thousand pounds with a small bit. That's a lot of power. And James is saying that the words that we use affect more than just our speech. They actually affect our entire life. That the words are small, but they, they can actually direct in a big way. Think of how true this is. Who's the most positive and optimistic person that you know? It's not just because of their words. Their words actually spill into the way that they live their life, their activity, their demeanor, their attitude, their body language. It's all affected by their words. And then James gives another illustration. He says this, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. And even though the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. He says it's disproportionately powerful. And it can, it's so small. Your words are just a small thing. Your tongue is such a small part of your body, but man, it's got power. It can really direct a lot. This is the same principle, different word picture. And James is just going that extra mile to paint that picture. People who are in control of their mouth are really in control of themselves and where their life is headed. Because the tongue has the power to direct your life. But then he says this. He uses another illustration, and there's another power that the tongue has. The power to destroy our lives. So the, the tongue is disproportionately powerful. It can 
direct our lives, but it can also destroy our lives. And I don't even need any verses to show this to you. We, we see this all the time. Life bears this out. I've talked with both men and women whose story is that they came into their marriage with all the confidence in the world and they could do anything, but their, their insecure husband or insecure wife just tore them down. And after five years and 10 years and 15 years, eventually they just were so smothered in self-doubt and insecurity. And uh, man, they were, they were never physically harmed, but the words that the person used that they loved and trusted the most just crushed their confidence, just destroyed them. And that can happen because words have the power to destroy. Our tongue is disproportionately powerful. Some of you have uh, had words spoken to you years ago that still to this day affect your self-esteem, affect the way that you view yourself, affect your, your security. And you can rattle off all the things that you've done in life trying to prove your worth to someone because of something they said. James says, that's the power of the tongue. Yeah, I mean, it can direct your life, but it can also bring incredible destruction. And here's the example that he gives. He says, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Think about that. This is the point James is making. Matches can fit in the palm of your hand, and yet they have the power to destroy millions and millions and millions of dollars of property, hundreds of thousands of acres, even take human life. It doesn't seem fair. The, the cause doesn't seem to match the effect, right? It's like, that's really disproportionate. And that's the point James is making. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. You can say a word and it's like a spark and it can set a forest on fire. And if we're honest, we've seen some of these things happen with some of our words. Well, I don't understand. All I said was, and man, she just lost it. I don't understand why that was the reaction. All I said was, and it's like, man, their whole life is ruined. All I said was this, and my parents just went crazy. All I said was this, and now my kid won't talk to me. I mean, all I said was, and James goes, yeah, but it's a spark. And that spark, man, it's, it, it caused a fire. And you're starting fires that now you can't put out. And we don't get it, and we don't understand. And James says, that's the power of your words. If you're not careful, you can, your words can be a spark that can start a fire and you will want to put it out and you can't put it out because it's too big. And as much as you'll want to, you will become a bystander and you will wish with everything inside of you to reverse the damage. But once the fire has begun to spread, it will be too late. The damage will be done. And in case we're still missing it, he continues. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. James is just going the extra mile to let you know, listen, this is so disproportionately powerful. And you want to go like, James, take it easy, man. You're harsh in my mellow here. But he wants us to understand. He's using some pretty graphic language to convey our tongue constantly has the potential to cause unlimited damage to ourselves and to others. He's saying that there's this dark underbelly to some of the words that we use. And when your six-year-old talks back to you, you don't put them on a timeout. You don't put their tongue on a timeout, right? You put the whole person on a timeout. Uh, when you say something to your spouse and, and you're in an argument, uh, it's not your tongue that goes and sleeps on the couch. The whole self goes to the couch, right? Think just for a minute about some of the ways that you've caused damage with some of our words. Insensitive words. Have you ever just said something without thinking and you didn't even really think about it and just kind of slipped out and then you're like, oof, that was like, I just lit a match. And I didn't mean to, but man, I, I put my mouth in gear before I put my brain in gear. We've all done that, right? How about negative words? 
Maybe you're someone who always sees the glass as half empty. You're the Debbie Downer in your circle of friends, always complaining and giving reasons why life sucks. But that can cause damage. Maybe it's angry words. We've all said something in the heat of the moment that we wish we could take back. And maybe it was because, man, this one, this is a zinger, right? And I'm going to win this argument. Or, you know what? They hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them back. And you said it, and now you've lit a match. And you wish with everything inside of you that you could take it back, but you already lit the match. Now the fire is burning. Now you're trying to put it out. Maybe it's words of gossip. This can be more destructive than anything. You can destroy a reputation, and the words that you say don't even have to be true. You can just spout things out. And, and this is why words are so powerful. Or you're listening to gossip, and this can be damaging, and, and you're writing a story in your mind about another person that isn't true at all. And now that's how you see them. You see them through that lens. So every interaction you have with them is guarded, and you never are able to build friendship and build relationship. Maybe it's social media words. Some of you say things on social media that you would never have the cojones to say in person. You could never look somebody in the eye and say that, but man, that keyboard, woo, ah, that's a zinger. <laughs> Ding. And it's amazing, social media gives us a platform to spew hateful, angry, judgmental, negative words because we never have to look that person in the eye as we say it. And James says there's a world of wickedness inside of us, meaning inside of us has the potential to do way more destruction and way more harm than we ever thought so. Wars have been started over words. Murders have been committed over words. Divorces initiated over words. Parents split from their kids for years because of words. Self-esteem ripped away from people because of words and careers destroyed because of words and nations divided over words. And I'm guessing you already know all this because you have your own story of destruction. You have your own history. You could probably stand up here and talk about how a relationship was destroyed over words. Misconception, gossip, whatever it was, insensitivity. You burned down a relationship with your kids because you just couldn't figure out how to control your words. And maybe you destroyed a career or a future because that is the negative impact of our mouth. In fact, if you really want to say something stupid, speak publicly every week. It's a great, great way to just really put your foot in your mouth. This isn't in your notes. Proverbs 10:19 says this, don't talk too much for it fosters sin. Be sensible and turn off the flow. So the scriptures say, shut your flow. And I think that's great wisdom. And if you ever hear someone talking and you know, you're trying to light a fire with their words, just say, hey, shut your flow. Proverbs 19.10. I think it's great wisdom. And so just to make sure that we understand how powerful this tongue is, James continues in the next verse. And he says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Man, he's just giving it to us, right? And it's unbelievable. He says, it's toxic. It's a pretty clear statement. He says, your tongue and my tongue is harder to tame than a wild animal. Now, uh, I've never stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with a wild animal other than a squirrel in my backyard. But I will tell you this. I've been to the zoo. The, the human race is not afraid of the animal kingdom. We have subdued the animal kingdom. But for the most part, like, we have subdued the animal kingdom. James says, we have tamed wild animals but we've never been able to tame our own tongues. That's a sobering thought. And James wants us to understand our words are so powerful that we will never mature to the point, even when we're you know, 97 years old, that your tongue will be fully tamed. You still have the potential to start fires with your tongue. Destroy someone with your words, cause someone to turn away from God because of the things that you say. 
And then he tells us this third power of the tongue. He says this, the tongue has the power to display what's inside. Really, what's happening is uh, whatever's going on inside of you starts to make its way out in your words. So not only does it have the power to direct your lives, potentially has the power to destroy your life, but it's just really displaying what's going on internally. Here's what he says in the next verse. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. He's talking about the tongue. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What, what he's saying is, what's up with that? You, you, you come in on Sunday morning and it's all, I, I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again. And then we get in the minivan and we're fighting with each other before we hit the first stoplight. He goes, what's going on here? How is it that fresh water and salty water are coming out of the same source? We're arguing in the front seat with our spouse. We're criticizing everything we don't like about people on Facebook and everything we disagree with. We go to work on Monday and we gossip about coworkers who are made in God's image. And James starts with the most obvious question, like we're a bunch of second graders. He's like, how is this happening? This isn't right. And he's not saying this isn't right, like you should stop doing that. He's saying this shouldn't even be possible. There's something going on in the source that needs to be dealt with. This same instrument that praises God shouldn't be the same instrument that curses people who are made in God's image. It's a problem with the source. It reveals what's going on in our hearts. And James says, you can't tame the tongue. And then he just stops. You get to the end of that verse, and he just stops. And that's the end of the discussion. You can read the rest of chapter 3. He moves on to something else. It's like, James, you can't just leave us hanging like that. Like, what are we supposed to do? He's like, I don't know. You got a problem. You got some big issues. Because you're using your words and, and, man, you're starting fires everywhere and it's causing a lot of problems. Your mouth is out of control and when you walk in, people don't know what you're going to say next and some of your employees are kind of walking eggshells around you and some of your family members walk on eggshells around you and your spouse and your kids, they don't know what you're going to say next and they never know which version of you is coming. Man, I don't know what the solution is, but it shouldn't be possible for you to praise God and curse others. You got some issues. You're starting fires. And then he just ends it. He leaves it open-ended. So, let's close in prayer. The truth is, uh, we don't want to end it there. So I want to give you some helpful filters, right? Because we're a little more spiritual than James here. So, uh, I want to give you a couple of helpful filters as you deal with what James is talking about. James makes us aware of the problem. Let me give you three practical things that you can put into practice. And here's what I love about this. If you're exploring faith, if you're like, man, I don't even know where I stand with Jesus, these are things you can put into practice and it'll affect your life. Even if you haven't yet made the decision to put your trust in Jesus, this will improve your relationships. So let me give you three filters uh, for your tongue. First of all, number one, are my motives pure? Are my motives pure? When I'm talking to someone, filtering your words does not mean that you don't speak truth. It doesn't mean that you, don't, you never stand up for what you believe in. But before you do that, check your motive. Check your heart. Jesus spoke the truth, but he spoke the truth with grace. He, he didn't clobber people with truth. And I think far too often we speak the truth because it makes us feel good about us, about where we stand. And, and we weaponize the truth for our own sense of pride. And that's not helpful. Your words don't build up. They don't benefit those who hear them, no matter how true they are, if you're using them to clobber your listener. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, this is the Apostle Paul who's starting churches in the Roman Empire. 
He starts a church in Ephesus, and he writes them this letter, and he, here's his instructions to them. He says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We speak the truth, but we do it in love. And before you spew whatever it is that you're about to say with your words, ask yourself, why does this need to be said? Is it because I want to feel good about me, or is it because I want to actually help somebody else? There are so many things that I say that if I'm being honest, it's motivated by my own insecurity. Oh, man, if I say this, that'll make me look good. Well, if I say this, I can manage my image in a certain way. If I say this, this, then they'll know where I stand. But it isn't helpful. I say things to protect my image or to paint myself in a certain light or to make myself seem better in someone's eyes than I really am. And if I'm not careful about my motivation, then I will use my words in the heat of the moment to bring someone else down in an effort to build myself up. What's your motive? Have you ever been guilted into thinking differently? Has anybody ever just like shamed you to the point where you're like, man, you're right? No, we don't respond to that. Checking our motives before we speak will help us speak in love and not speak out of arrogance or insecurity. So what is my motive? Are my motives pure? Secondly, are my words helpful? Are are my words helpful? Is is this actually going to build somebody up or is this going to tear somebody down? There's something unique about a person who is an encourager. I want to be somebody in my life who speaks words of life, who encourages people, who builds people up and doesn't tear people down. People who live that way just seem to be in a different class than the rest of us, don't they? Uh, Do my words build someone up or tear them down? Uh, I read uh, several years ago that guys generally have a more difficult time with this just due to our verbal skills being less developed. And I immediately thought to myself, (laughs) 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 Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul says this, he continues, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Are my words helpful? I know this is a difficult discipline, but what if before we spoke, we did our best to run our words through that filter? Are my words helpful? Will my words bring encouragement? Do my words bring life? That's a great filter for us to use. And then number three, how's my tone? You know, you can say something that's helpful, And you can say it in a way that you're motivated by love, and you can say it in a way that's just mean and just rude. And we speak the truth in love. We don't speak the truth in sarcasm or speak the truth in anger or speak the truth in reaction, but in love. And sometimes it's not what you say, but it's how you say it that makes all the difference. In fact, again, we look to the Proverbs, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of the fool belches foolishness. I love the like visual of that. It's like, man, it's it's bubbling up and I just, I just got to get it out. And you know what that's like when you're at the dinner table and one of your kids just like, and they just belch at the dinner table and you're just like, dude, say, excuse me. You know, and the other kids are like, that was a good one, man. It just came up. I just belched foolishness. If you have words that you feel need to be said and it will benefit the listener, then make sure that you plan your approach and watch your tone and put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in gear. Because ultimately, we have to understand this. When we build people up, we point them up. When we build people up, we point them to Jesus. When we build people up, it's actually, this isn't just what successful and productive teams and relationships look like. This is what God looks like. When God spoke, things came to life. When God spoke into your life, you came alive. And we're called to be like him. 
to be like Jesus in the way that we use our words. And the people who are followers of Jesus are called to be an extension of God in our world. And people who are looking to discover what God is like should discover what God is like through their encounters with us and how they interact with us. Let's use our words as followers of Jesus to accurately reflect the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. And if you're here today and you need words of life spoken into you, that's why Jesus came into this world. That's what he came to do. God wants to speak words of life to you because he created you and he loves you and your life matters. And Jesus came into our world. The word became flesh. John writes this in John chapter one, that this word, this idea of a word actually took on flesh and bone and lived among us and listened to us and then offered the words of eternal life. That there's more to this life than this life. And you've been invited to be a part of God's family. And it has nothing to do with what you've done in your past and how you've behaved. It has everything to do with God. This idea of him coming into our world and inviting you to be a part of his family. If you've never said yes to that invitation, you need to know that invitation is extended to you today. And if you'd like to say yes, just agree with this simple prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. And forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. I thank you that you never walk away from me. You continue to pursue me with your love. And so I want to say yes to the invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to put my trust in you. Help me to follow you with the way that I live my life as best as I know how. And then, God, for every single one of us, we pray, help us to understand the power of our words. May we be less reactive. May we be more sensitive. May we be more thoughtful understanding that, God, you speak words of life to us, so may we be people who speak words of life to others. And God, as we just kind of reflect on this this week, I, I pray, give us the wisdom to know where to apply this in our lives, and then give us the courage to do it. We pray this in your name. Amen.